Trouble continues to mount for Toronto FC after yet another disheartening loss, this time at traditional TFC House of Horrors Rio Tinto. The match leaves plenty of questions for the Reds, which we will try to address on this week's Footy Talks podcast. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and also on today's show, we will chat about both Canadian national teams as they prepare for big tournaments this summer, as well as updates on the Canadian Championship. To help me break all of this down, Devang Desai from The Score is back on the show. Good to have you back on, Devang. Great to be here, Mitch. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's hit the bad news first, which uh, in this case and uh, most recent weeks as well tends to be Toronto FC. As mentioned off the top, uh, they headed down to Sandy, Utah, and uh, had a three nothing defeat to Real Salt Lake, who are a team kind of on the playoff bubble in the Western Conference. Uh, they've only won two matches of their last nine now, which is uh, starting to to look pretty disheartening, uh, especially. You know, considering what we saw last season from them, and and what we saw off the top of this year, where it looked to be a bit better, but um, a lot of questions, as I said, as well around you know where the team goes from here, because it's it's really been uh, a little bit now since they've looked like they put together a, a complete performance where they've been able to get uh, both the result and you know uh, things tactically. Uh, working out as well so uh, what did you make of that match and and, you know uh, like I said kind of where the team goes from here yeah I mean like you said Salt Lake City is not a place where TFC usually goes to find success I know when I worked with the team and we traveled there it was not a place where it was fun to go to I mean the the stadium's beautiful and the scenery is beautiful but on the field (laughs) not so much I remembered I think it might have been one of Jackson's last appearances. That might have been the highlight, and I think we still lost 2-1 <laughs> after being severely shorthanded. Um, yeah, I just, not a lot of glowing things to talk about. I mean, Pozuelo taking two bad yellows, resulting in a red, kind of losing his head, a bit of mm-hmm. not infighting, but I think you could see the frustration amongst the players, players that nor- don't normally show that kind of emotion. I, I saw Justin Morrow kind of start yelling at, I think it might have been Pozuelo as well, off a corner, so obviously not a great match. For TFC, I think it's the team was not as good as they looked at the beginning of the season, but I don't think they're as bad as they are currently. I think they're somewhere in the middle, and in the Eastern Conference, that should be enough to get you a playoff spot. And I think that's what I thought would happen for TFC at the beginning of the year in terms of prediction-wise. I think they're a playoff team. It's going to be extremely turbulent along the way, but they will be a playoff team. But what you're seeing now I don't think is a fair um uh, accurate depiction of what the team looks like but with that being said there are a, a couple of things that are extremely worrying to me and mm-hmm. and I look at the midfield and just the the general slow play in the midfield and how basically the way TFC plays now is every pass that you're playing in that area of the field almost has to be perfect to break out and get it to Pozuelo and get it up to the forwards and that's something that I don't think TFC has the quality in the midfield, if that's fair at the moment. I don't think Mark Delgado's not having a great start to the year. I think Michael has been he's been Michael, he's been consistent, but outside of him, I think they're they're missing something from his co midfielder. So I think that that's all I came. I'll also give him the fact that it's a lot of travel involved. They're going to a tough place to play. I won't write them off after one game, but I think we have to walk it back a bit from the ledge, but also not think that that beginning of the year start is what this team is going to be. I think this team is going to be a middle of the pack club in MLS as it currently stands. Yeah, it's it's interesting because when they were at their best under Greg Vanny in that 
you know, 2016 towards the end, 2017 season, uh, really the hallmark of that midfield was its ability to move the ball incredibly quickly up to their attacking players. You know, a guy like Marky Delgado was so good just because he'd get the ball and quickly be able to pick out the next kind of important player in that midfield. And we've seen Toronto FC struggle with that a little bit. Obviously, they don't have, you know, maybe the players up front that they did during 2017, certainly without Altidore in the lineup. And um, specifically with Pozuelo, you know, we, we saw his frustrations boil over, as you said, in, in a lot of ways because teams have figured him out a little bit. I mean, he came in here and had four goals and five assists in his first four games and everyone was wondering is this league too easy for a player like this and uh, th- that's kind of the case sometimes with some of these players who come over and, and just instantly dominate the league before uh, teams kind of figure out and now we've seen clubs put multiple players on him they seem to have backed him out of the box a little bit whereas yeah. the only place where he has space now is is kind of outside the box and um, sure he can still pick out passes from there but he, he's certainly not as much of a threat to score in, in recent weeks the only goal he's scored in the last six games has come off of a, a direct free kick um, and only has one assist in that time as well so um, you know certainly with the, with the red card as well it's it might not be the worst to have him take a week off but I think we certainly have seen teams figure him out a little bit more and and kind of you know, maybe call Toronto FC's bluff a little bit and and say, look, if we shut down this guy, what are you going to do? What other options do you have to hurt us? And Toronto hasn't been able to find one so far. I mean, if you look at this and, and you look at the way the team is currently constructed, I mean, Josie's working his way back from injury. Hopefully he can play a part on Sunday against the Earthquakes. But, I mean, Terrence Boyd has not shown that he can play for mm-hmm. Toronto FC at the moment. Um I will put my hand up and say that I predicted maybe a 12-goal campaign would be an accurate (laughs) prediction, which does not look true at the moment. He's going to need a lot of Voyager's Cup goals. (laughs) Um, So there's a miss. I mean, I think Jordan Hamilton's been okay. He's he's done. I I don't think he can do what they need him to do at this point with all the injuries and what they're asking to, but I think he's been fine. Um, Ayo Akinola has shown glimpses, but he's away now as well. There's not really a lot of options. I mean, I think... You're, you're not relying on it, but I think the fact that Jay Chapman has been one of those X factors off the bench to provide something up front is not something I foresaw before the season began. I don't know about you, Mitch, but it's at that point now where he is important in terms of going forward for the team. And when the window closed and, and TFC didn't get that winger, and, and I saw a lot of backlash on Twitter, and I, I kind of played it down. I'm like, I don't think it's the end of the world, and they can probably get by until the summer without adding another piece up front, but. I mean, the last few games have been a pretty big indictment of that claim because I think you could argue that they are missing that killer instinct on the outside and having someone else outside of Pozuelo to play through because at the moment, like you said, it's basically like you're quad-teaming or triple-teaming him in the middle of the park or even when he's up to the wings a bit and you're asking other players to make plays that I just don't think they can make. Yeah, let's talk about that wide player because we've, you know, even before, dating back to his end-of-season press conference, Greg Banny said one thing and one thing consistently about this team, which is that they needed to improve in the wide areas and they needed a player more suited to being a full wide attacker. Um, he, even, you know, every time you ask him about this, it's the same answer. They need a wide attacker. Uh, management still hasn't gotten him this player. We know, you know, in some ways, the the way things, things played out with Alejandro Pozuelo and a lot of the other unforeseen things this offseason... Um, didn't play out well great and I was kind of in the same boat as you when they you know when they missed out on bringing in a player before this window at that point they were 
one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. They had a lot of points above the playoff line. They really seemed to be doing all right without, and it was kind of the, you know, kind of the feeling that, sure, they can probably survive until the summer and, and then bring in a player. And I still think that's probably the case. I think that, uh, like you said, it hasn't been quite as bad, and they can probably be around the playoff bubble um, until the summer and then bring in, in, in you know, maybe even a couple players and and put them back towards the the upper echelon of of the eastern conference but yeah i mean when when your coach continues to say that you're missing this piece and and they haven't been able to get it yet i mean it's 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 a tough look and um it, it makes it a little bit harder to criticize greg vanny just because uh, yeah, like like I said, I mean, he he clearly doesn't have the pieces he wants to to be able to put this team together, and it's still his job to get results. But when he's built this system around a player he doesn't have, um, it's it's got to be tough. Uh, he might have taken a school out of the Josie Altidore negotiating playbook when uh, he may voice his concerns about not bringing back the trainer that he worked with when Seba <laughs> was still in Toronto, and and they got him back. So maybe Greg is trying to get Ali Curtis. And Bill to, to start moving for that move in the summer. I mean, it's interesting for Greg, though, as well, because I think he's shown, um, he prides himself, I think, on the ability to adapt and, and the ability to to find a way with the personnel he has to, to get by. And and obviously, we, he's seen him do it extremely successfully in, in that, uh, that record season, but 2017 is inching farther and farther away in the rearview mirror. And I think the more recent iterations of this team i think you found him trying to do this as well but whether or not they can do it with the personnel they have i think it's clear they can't and and it sounds like a major statement but i think it's pretty clear from at least the past two years or the past year and, and a bit however far we are into not 2019 i don't think the personnel is there for greg to rely on playing the system that he loves without mm-hmm. having the players that can play it and i i'm sure he'd be the first to admit that but it's interesting because i initially why I thought they didn't really need to look at a winger is because there's other parts of the team that I think are more glaringly needing reinforcements and they need some support there and then you look at defenders and you look at some of the players who are having a bit of a drop off this year and a bit might be a being a charitable thing I think Oro's and I don't know about you Mitch but I think Oro has not been what I thought he would be this year no and that and that's huge and that's huge for what Greg wants to do in terms of coming um, on the wings and then I think Nick DeLeon's been fine but Nick DeLeon is not an X-factor, quote-unquote. He's a very good MLS player, but I'm not sure he's the guy that we need to rely on in terms of chance creation coming off the wing. So I I, I was with you. I didn't think they needed to go crazy and do something maybe they weren't prepared to do, but it's pretty evident that there's an extreme lack of pace in certain areas of the park for TFC, and that's just not going to be susceptible to how the way Greg wants to attack. Yeah, I think like... Like last year, where Stephen Bateshaw ended up being a much bigger miss than I think anyone anticipated, or at least certainly Toronto FC's front office anticipated. I think Greg Greg Vanderveel has been a bigger miss than um, you know the, the, than they thought. Obviously, the off you know the off season and um, certainly the the stuff that happened off the field is is one thing, but um, yeah, I think just not having a 
not having a reliable wide defender out there on the right's been a, a big issue for the club and uh, the defending in general I mean I certainly thought I mean they had the ball for almost the entire game against DC United and they seem like uh, a side that weren't you know particularly interested in attacking Toronto but at the same time I thought that was maybe a turnaround defensive performance from them they I mean they were limited them to 0.14 expected goals which is unbelievably small <laughs> they barely you know for all their defensive problems expected yeah. goals against wise TFC is not that bad in the league that's true which is it's interesting to me about that but sorry continue man no yeah it's uh, it's, it, it is interesting because, uh, you know, I thought that that was a, a bit of a turnaround performance for them. And then they go into Real or they go into Real Salt Lake and it feels like they were the same problems. I mean, everything looked to be pretty fine. And then all of a sudden, Salt Lake just sends a, a cross in that, that's really more of a prayer than anything. And Zavaleta misses it, Aro misses it. And all of a sudden, it's they're, they're down 1 0 and everything went poorly from there so it's it really seems like one step forward and then two steps back for the defense this season and uh, that that continues to be a concern especially now that the goals have, have dried up a little bit 100% I think it's a couple of things that you would hope that some of your younger players who are entering their prime or or if not they're already would mm-hmm. start not getting extremely better but getting better and and, and showing um some maturation and showing some ability to become a better player than they were in past years. And I think if you look at, and I know he hasn't played much recently, but if you look at Alex Bono, you look at Zavaleta, yeah, I don't think you're seeing that progression. You're not seeing them um, up their game as time goes on. And yet, especially in Zavaleta's case, you're asking him to do and play some major minutes. So it's that, and I think it's also the fact that I'd, Chris Vavinga gets a lot of stick, especially on social media for mistakes or or playing too aggressively but i think as part of the issue is i think chris thinks he has to do too much because mm-hmm. there is a, a little lack of trust between the defense which is maybe issue number one in big glaring glaring letters in terms of lack of trust in your fellow backline and your teammates because you've seen that throughout the year when mavinga might be seemingly doing something outlandish and and way too aggressive but either a he has to because there is no other alternative or b he doesn't think that his fellow defender on his right side is going to be there and that's that's a huge thing because i i don't i don't see how that is rectified this year i think that omar gonzalez gambit that they tried and it seemed like it was close to the line would have been definitely a step to improve the situation but i don't know how many games you're going to get from drew moore this year i think anything over 15 would be fantastic 15 one five and laurent simon's on the shelf um you're looking at relying on some pretty pretty square some square pegs and some round holes at the moment i know nick Haglin left and and it was for allocation reasons reasons it was a good move but you miss guys like that especially when you have so much turnover and you need some continuity and you need a guy a good soldier quote unquote and that's what nick was and he's missed so far yeah like mavinga i think toronto C seem to have a lot of players right now that kind of i don't know if it's a lack of trust but they seem to just drift out of position you know very easily and and move around the field a lot you know michael's always done that but when he had a number of players around him playing more more positionally it wasn't as big of an issue um, and, and then you've got Pozuelo as well who you never really know where he's going to pop up on the field so it, it makes Toronto FC a bit more or a bit less uh, I guess set in their tactical formation and that's something that 
Um, I've certainly watched this this year a little bit. Um, it, it seemed to work at first, but now it, it's it's certainly led to some struggles on the defensive end, I think, because I don't know if players know exactly where they need to be at any given time. Uh, let's talk about uh, the, the next game coming up for Toronto FC, and that's on Sunday. Um, they're taking on San Jose at home. Uh, earlier in the year, this would have been uh, you know a, a pretty easy match for Toronto FC. It would seem San Jose had... You know, just a horrendous start to the season. They really look like they would be uh, pretty much cannon fodder for everyone, especially in that pretty solid Western Conference. But uh, under Matias Almeida, they've they've really picked it up recently. Um, they've only lost one in their last six, and uh, this could be another tricky match for Toronto FC, which I don't think is is what they're necessarily hoping for in in a period where really they're treading water and could just use a, a you know confidence building home win to uh, kind of th- get things back on the rails. It's a good thing Wando got that record last game because I feel like he would definitely do definitely get that done at BMO Field <laughs> on Sunday. Um, Almeida's done a great job. I think, like you said, I, especially at the start of the year when it seemed like these players had never been together at all on the field, even with preseason. It was definitely a, a change in system and a process, and he's brought so much needed stability to the to that club. That being said, this is a three points that I think you need to have if you're Greg Vanny, if you're if you're TFC. Um, Five games in 15 days, obviously a daunting task for any club, uh, especially with the travel mixed in. And TFC played some pretty good teams. If you look at it at the end of the year, I think you'll see that maybe outside of Salt Lake, and I still think there'll be a bubble team. You're all those are all playoff teams that they were up mm-hmm. against, and it was always going to be tough. But now you're you're kind of settling into the heart of the MLS season, and this is where they need to make some hay. They still have some games in hand on other teams. I think you look at what's coming up next it's san jose vancouver away kc at home dallas away like it doesn't get easier in that regard and i think what gets what what gets to the point is that they're running out of time to figure it out in terms of how they want to play and i i never really got the feeling that greg was panicking i never have really got that feeling that he's panicked that much in the last couple years even after 2018 when everything went really poorly i think he's had this plan in place but the hot seat has never been really turned on and it shouldn't have been because of 2017 and because of what this team accomplished almost winning the Kongiap Champions League but I do wonder I do wonder if we do start hearing some stuff around the club if this next wave of games does not go better because people have short memories and and I, hey I'm I'm in that camp too but I I think it's it's getting it's getting time it's getting close to that time now where it's the past is the past in, in so many ways and you have to look at this next block of games heading into june and heading in against them again another bunch of very good teams after after dallas you have atlanta dc galaxy so it's going to be a very interesting month for this club and it has to start with a win on sunday because i feel like the pressure will only increase yeah certainly it's a it's a very important game for them i think and and one that you know, if they can if they can pick up a win, then then things start to look a little bit better in terms of you know they'll be back probably in a playoff spot and um, you know they they're at least during this time have a bit more rest in between games. That was a pretty hectic stretch for them, so they'll have more time to to work on their identity and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, if they if they can't pick up a win here, then all of a sudden you know you have another week off and uh, another week of these questions. Um, you know, not being answered. So it's it's interesting times around Toronto FC right now, and um, I certainly look forward to Sunday and seeing uh, what they can do, maybe with their backs against the wall a little bit. 
Um, let's move on to the next segment on the show, our Canadian soccer segment. Uh, like I said, news for both national teams this week, but uh, let's start with the Canadian Championship uh, as it wrapped up the first round. Halifax, they advance after a 3-3 aggregate score over uh, Von Azuri. They advanced on away goals. Uh, York 9, they got a late goal from Ryan Telfer, a Toronto FC Loney, uh, to beat Blainville. 1-0, and Cavalry, they continue to uh, be the class of the CanPL. They still haven't lost. 2-1 win over Pacific FC, um, so they won 4-1 on aggregate. So all the Canadian Premier League teams advance. It, it looked dicey for a bit, certainly, um, for both sides. I mean, Blanville certainly tested York 9, and then Von Azuri, uh, they came very close to, to beating Halifax Wanderers, but uh, all the Canadian Premier League teams advance. Uh, what did you make of, of the first round? It was fun. It was fun. I I had a very enjoyable time watching Von Azuri play and, and mm. scare the living daylights of <laughs> Halifax. Um, the way that club is run, what they've done in that club is is been fantastic. I think if you look at the way soccer is growing in this country, and then we are seeing success, obviously with the CPL and MLS, but it's those clubs right in the provincial level that have really pushed the game in this country uh, ahead so far and it's clubs like Von Azuri that have been at the forefront of that so it was fantastic to see them enjoy the limelight fell just short um, I think Halifax has some questions to ask of themselves going forward in terms of defending uh, York 9 mm-hmm. Brian Telfair and and like what right, York 9 is such an interesting team to me to watch because yeah. I don't know don't know if they know how they want to play or how they're going to play yet I think that is definitely a work in progress, progress but they're been the benefit benefactor of having a guy like Telfer in the squad who can gate uh, break games like that and I think the game I'm looking forward to the next round it's got to be Calvary Forge it's the two top teams in the CPL mm. I think arguably the two best teams to watch Calvary a little less so a little more methodical but I like the way Forge goes forward and Forge as a team their identity I think is something that you can get behind if you're neutral if you have no rooting interest it's a fun team to watch so I'm curious to see how those two teams match up in the next round but i wonder how it would have looked mitch if von azuri had beaten halifax in that first round like how would how would that have been welcomed yeah it would have been so interesting i mean that's something that you know as a as as a canadian soccer fan i i, I think i'll welcome in future years um but this being the first year for the canadian <laughs> yeah, premier league and then, to get through they needed to get through that game <laughs> yeah exactly yeah they they needed to show that they were a level up on on these uh uh, on these provincial leagues, um, I think, and uh, they just about did that in these uh, in these games. And I, I don't think, um, you know, I, I wonder if people will remember how big of a struggle it is now, or they'll just remember that they got through. But uh, yeah, you, you mentioned the limelight. I think that's that's incredibly important now that I think we have the Canadian Premier League teams who are uh, maybe a little bit higher profile than you know any of the other clubs that would have entered the the competition at that round some of these guys on von azuri are now going to have a platform to you know they, they showed themselves very well and i think um you know even if it's canadian premier league teams or other teams they're they're, they're going to see these players now and there's that clear pathway there where they can move up to the canadian premier league from a competition like this which is um incredibly important um and you mentioned york nine have you uh you seen their mascot yet that they, they released wow. today? wow york fantastic i yeah. mean I'm uh I'm not anti mascot by any means. Uh, I like to see more of them, but uh, interesting. It's an interesting look. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's all I have to say about it. <laughs> I'm uh I'm wondering if it's a shot at Danny Dicchio. Looks, <laughs> looks a lot like Danny Dicchio to me. 
possible. It is possible. You know what? I see it. I see it. <laughs> but yeah, a, a pretty uh, a pretty interesting mascot there. I, I still think Stewie the Starfish is a uh, is the best Forge, mascot. Forge got Forge is uh, a wild one as well. I think their that's mascot true. game is uh, it's burgeoning on European levels. So that's a positive <laughs> for the week. Yeah, it's uh it's been interesting to see uh that that side of the uh the game. I I still haven't seen FC Edmonton's mascot in in action. It's a pretty scary looking uh pretty scary <laughs> looking one though. Um yeah, just to to round out the matchups, you mentioned Cavalry will be taking on um Forge in the next round. We've also got Halifax taking on FC Edmonton and or sorry, FC Edmonton's taking on York 9 and Valor's taking on Halifax. So uh, the All-Canadian Premier League matchups, it'll be intriguing to see which of these teams can can get to that next round. And, and you know, as I said, still anticipating the first CanPL against Ottawa Fury game uh, as well as the first CanPL against MLS games. Both of those tournaments, uh, well, both of those games, whether uh, they come this tournament or in the future, are going to be uh, absolutely fantastic uh, from a, a narrative standpoint. Um, let's talk about the, the two national teams then. Um, the, the gold cup is now just around the corner and, um, the Canadian men's national team had their 40 man preliminary roster released by CONCACAF. Um, some surprises. I mean, there wasn't anybody, uh, truly shocking on this list, or I think anyone truly shocking left off this list. I mean, um, anytime it's 40 players deep, I mean, you can get very debatable or very you know, into debates as to what the Canadian men's national team depth chart looks like. But I think the, the, the 23 for this, this team, which is what it will ultimately be cut down to is, um, you know, I don't think anyone on this 40 man roster or there's any players that wouldn't be in that 23. So, or like, you know, there's, there's no one missing there, I think. So, um, I, I think that all makes sense. But anyone there in the in the forty man preliminary roster you were surprised about, or anyone I guess more so missing? Not really surprised. I'd like to see or learn more about Juan Cordova, the the mm-hmm. midfielder playing in Chile. I don't know a lot about him. Um, obviously, anytime you see these teams released and and you look at where they're playing and, and club level, I, it was intriguing to me that you had another player in in uh, in South America. I know Lucas Cavallini was there, and he's now in Mexico, but. Interested to check Cordova out. Don't know a lot about him. Um, I think Will Johnson still being in the mix is interesting. I, that, I remember that call he had with Herdman um, when he was first appointed. It seemed like a bit of a, a blip in the radar. Like, oh, that's nothing. Just talking to one of his players. But that conversation must have gone a long way because you're seeing Johnson now involved mm-hmm. pretty consistently with the club. So I wonder what his role maybe as a, as a leader, as a mentor, um, the, some of the younger guys. Uh, outside of that, nothing really that surprising. I think the cuts will be interesting, though. I think that's that will be where we see... Uh, some interesting decisions decisions being made um but overall you get i think you or you and i could probably guess pretty accurately who that 23 roster will be nothing too mm-hmm. shocking yeah i think uh i think a couple of guys that m- maybe surprised me that were left off uh steven vittoria's one just because kind of the experience he has um in terms of you know um playing in Europe obviously he hasn't played much this year but just just having that experience although at the same time it's it's been pretty clear for a, a long while now that um that John Herdman's kind of figured out his his back line and it's it's going to be some combination of Cornelius Daniel Henry if he's healthy and uh which looks to be good and Mandricar James so uh th- that wasn't too surprising and then the two Toronto FC guys Chapman and Frazier but I think at the same time uh that 
there's probably some deal made there where it's like, listen, they're probably not going to be on the team anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even if they are, they'd be like the 23rd man. So uh, it makes more sense for their development to to stick around in Toronto when you know guys like Bradley and potentially a Delgado, although that would be kind of surprising at this point, but certainly an Osorio uh, will be missing and they'll, they'll be more of a void in that midfield. These guys will get an opportunity. Certainly, as you mentioned, Chapman's been playing very well. So I think that's that's a player that could get big opportunity when some of those uh, starters for Toronto FC are away. So yeah, the the one thing, of course, that also stood out to me was no Canadian Premier League players on this roster. I know the league's in kind of its infancy, and it maybe would have been difficult for the first couple of weeks to have put a player on the team, but... Um, are there are there any players you would have looked at to, to get in this 40-man mix? And are you kind of surprised there wasn't uh, maybe a token CanPL player on the roster just because of, you know, what the what this league means to uh, Canada going forward? A little bit, a little bit, and a little bit no. I think a charity handout would, would I could see how optically that wouldn't look good either if you, you mm-hmm. brought someone along just to cut him anyways. So I, I can see both sides of it. I, obviously, it'd be a boon for the league if they had someone involved in this Gold Cup, you maybe can make an argument for Ben Fisk out in Pacific. I, I think in terms of attackers, in terms of someone who could, who could score, he's, he's shown glimpses and he's, he's started quite well um, this season. But honestly, I, I'm not too uh, not too not too shocked by that development. But I think we're closer than than I might have first imagined at the beginning before I saw anyone play in this league. I think the quality of the play in the league has surprised me in a positive way. And and while we're on that note, I, and I know last time I was on, we talked about him, but Daniel Henry has been fantastic for Vancouver yeah. before before the injury scare. He's really come along. It's absolutely wonderful to see someone who's dealt with so many injuries, so many other stuff off the field. He has been fantastic for Mark Dos Santos in Vancouver, and that's that's great to see. And Derek Cornelius as well is, is up in his game as well and had a, a big goal for the Whitecaps uh, midweek. So it, it's good to see those guys rebound after a really poor start. Yeah, I like Crapo into that mix as well. Who's been hundred percent, very, very solid. I think I saw a stat where, and uh, if you take out penalty goals, nobody's conceded less goals than than Crapo has, um, in terms of starting goalkeepers. So that's a, a pretty incredible that's, stat. That quad save got him seen around the world as well. Yeah. On how far that traveled. Yeah, that was uh, that was unbelievable um, <laughs> against Atlanta United. So yeah, I think I think Boryan's obviously still the. The number one, but there was some concern. I think after you know Borian retires, um, who's the next in line? And I think Crapo has very much stepped up and and been the number two. And even you know if if there's an injury there, or even if they want to rotate the squad a little bit, because the the travel that Canada is going to face at this Gold Cup is is going to be pretty tremendous. So uh, having a guy like Crapo, who's having a fantastic MLS season, is is very very important. Um, yeah, I think on the on the Campiel front, I mean, sure, you could have made an argument for a guy in the top 40 um, in terms of Canadian players, but he no one comes particularly close to that top 30 or even the 23. So, uh, yeah, it might have felt a little bit like a like a token ad. Um, I think the Olympic team is kind of where we see more Canadian yeah. Premier League guys, and that's where it's it really gets important. I also wanted. I, I'm glad Raheem got on this team on this 40 man list as well. Raheem Edwards, mm-hmm. just but uh, he's in the soccer abyss right now. I think uh, just with the way things are going with Chicago, and I part of me thinks this is also a motivational thing on the part of Herdman to remind Raheem that he's still part of the plans and he's still considered 
when these teams are announced because I know I don't know the inside situation, but you can only imagine it's got to be tough for someone who who's had a really tough go of it the last year or so. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, with the the way he played for Toronto FC, and um, they could use they could use a guy like that right now, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy, <laughs> crazy thing to think about. But. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. Yeah, he was. Uh, it's funny that they got rid of a, a number of semi decent wide players in the in the lead up to this year. Uh, Raheem certainly uh, would have been one of those. Um, let's move on to the uh, women's national team. Uh, they played their final tune up friendly um, before the World Cup at home, or I guess their final home friendly uh, before the World Cup. Um, there were four or three nil winners over Mexico at BMO Fields. Uh, I thought a pretty good final send off. I know uh, Mexico, uh, they're, they're an interesting side right now because it really seemed like they were on the up and up and then obviously they missed out on this World Cup and I didn't think they showed particularly well in this match. But um, I also you know, liked a lot of what Canada did. They, they seemed to be playing very well together. All three of their goals were very well crafted and they obviously could have had more. So uh, what did you make of that performance? And, uh, you know, one of the last looks we'll get to the team before the, the tournament. A, a complete performance. Um, I mean, Mexico is 26th in the world, not exactly a juggernaut, juggernaut to handle business. Uh, Christine mm-hmm. Sinclair adding another goal, three behind Abby Wambach, which I would love to see her get or Eclipse at the World Cup. I think that'd be perfect. Um, they, they they looked good. Um, I, like you said, though, I think it's a bit hard to gauge how good and how much this will translate over into France. But overall, good atmosphere, a good proper send-off for a good team, um, a team that deserves the limelight, and they're going to get it when they're in France in, in June. Um, you know, I mean, just, you know, I think that the mix of this new mix of younger players coming in as well, there's a lot to, to be hopeful for and i think mm-hmm. when when it's all said and then about this tournament i think it's almost going to be a bit of a passing of the garden and, and having players like christy sinclair and sophie schmidt have that that last moment as the leaders of this team and have that final go at what they haven't been able to, to do yet and get deep into this tournament but it's a nice blend it's a nice blend of players and i think the transition from herdman and and all that came with it not not the drama but i guess where do we go from here? I think Kenneth Heiner Moeller's done a great job in terms of yeah. getting the team back together. And you heard it from um, the media that was down at, at BMO when Canada was there and, and the way he spoke and the way he carried himself. I think it was a comforting feeling, I think, after a lot of uh, turbulence for the club after Herman decided to go against the team. It, they've, they really haven't missed a beat. So it'll be great to see. I think also it's a shame that Diana Matheson and, and – uh, uh, Aaron, McLeod. Aaron McLeod won't be there in France. The two, two absolute warriors for the program, and mm-hmm. it's real tough. But again, I think we're we're looking at a, a very a, an extre- not an extremely old squad, but a veteran squad and a young squad. And the in between players, there are not too many of those. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, it certainly will. Uh, we might actually get a better idea of what Canada looks like. They're playing Spain in, in a few minutes here, but obviously that'll be uh, done by the time uh, this gets posted. So that might be a bit of a better indication just because <laughs> that's being played against a team who's um, in the World Cup. So um, that'll be a, a good chance for them to, to get those final tune-ups. But one thing I did want to mention before we finished is probably the perfect commercial, at least for me, for this this World Cup, which was that Christine Sinclair quote saying that this was the Canadian team she's been waiting for her entire career in terms of the talent uh, that's on this team. I mean, if that doesn't get you excited for this Huge. Women's World Cup, that, that got me fired up. 
I can't wait. I can't wait. I'll be. I'm gonna be in France that first oh, wow. week of the tournament. But I think I, I leave just right before their first game. But I'm trying to see if I can get to Montpellier for the the first game. But not knowing the geography of France that well, I'm like, oh, I can't be that far. Paris, Montpellier, and it's extremely far. So I will need to find out if that's possible. But no, it's gonna be great. I. Uh, it's, I, you're seeing a lot of this, obviously, deservedly so. And I think that the German women's team had a great ad about respect and like just just really putting it out there like we mm-hmm. we are amazing professional athletes and, and we will show you all in june and then i think canada is a bit better in terms of the respect we give the canadian women obviously they've been our better team than the men for many years and a right. team that you can truly hope for on the international stage but it's not so much that anymore i think it's that this team has potential to actually take out one of the big big teams possibly seeing how this goes i mean that game against the Dutch is going to be very interesting, I think, in the group, and we'll learn a lot. If we'll learn more than we have already, I would say. Yeah, if you're going to get tickets to the World Cup, just make sure you're not sitting with other people because apparently that's uh, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Without uh, a tournament without something like that. Going, yeah, although, exactly. Yeah. You think even you think in France they would have uh, yeah. <laughs> would yeah. have figured it out, but uh, apparently not. I, w- I went to that ticket draw the other day, or not draw, right. but now you can access them, and, and it's not the greatest site, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I'm hoping to have a couple of uh, World Cup, one's World Cup specific guests on in the coming weeks, so uh, there'll definitely be more chatter about that. Uh, but until then, Devang, uh, thanks for coming on this week. Of course, man. Take care. And uh, to the rest of you, thanks for listening. Just a reminder, join TSN's Christian Jack and Stephen Caldwell on June 1st at the Rec Room for the Champions League final between Liverpool and Tottenham. And head over to homestandsports.com slash events to RSVP and make a reservation. Uh, that game will be on the big screen there as well, so uh, check that out. And otherwise, enjoy your weekend.